Well, we did it. It's finally 2020, isn't it? Every church in America has been waiting for 2020 so they can make a campaign based off the fact that we're gonna see the world different. Am I right? Guess what? We did too. We're gonna see the world different in 2020. In your worship guides, you will see an insert. And that insert will explain the way that we're gonna help you grow this year. And every month, we're gonna seek to do something in our lives We're going to seek to do something as a church so that we can follow God faithfully and it transform us. Not so that 2020 will be a year that we look back at with fondness, but it will transform us into the way that we will look different to the rest of the world for the rest of our life so that they may know our God in heaven. And one way to do that is we think the first way to do it is to see the world differently in 2020 is to faithfully learn how to see the world and interact with the world. We gave away books in the fall. Uh, we, we bought over 600 books, I believe. We gave away books in the fall, and there was one book per household uh, called Questioning Evangelism by Randy Newman. And we would like to join you in reading in January that book through together. Uh, we have a reading plan, and week one starts this week, and then week two, week three, week four. It's a four-week reading plan. We're gonna help you with that as you read along. We're gonna provide um, on, the, uh, on our social media, we're gonna provide a video that has us recapping what we read that week. In my class that meets after this in A, um, A13 and 11:15 for the month of January, we're actually gonna have a book discussion based off of that book. And so if you'd like to join us for this month so that we can be a part of that, you can. Now many of you are thinking, I do not know what happened to my book. Am I right? Well, guess what? We're willing to get you another book. There's about 10 books out on the uh, welcome desk outside. So the first people that get up and get them, get them. Um, But we've also ordered another box of books. And lo and behold, we have no idea where that box of books is. And so you can be praying for our books to come in, but what we'd like you to do in the meantime, if you're in need of one, if you'll fill out the insert on their worship guide just expressing that you need a book with your contact information, we will let you know when we get them in and we'd love to be able to provide that for you as we seek the Lord together this year and change the way that we live and change the way we view the world. Um, I think it's an incredible challenge to see the world differently. And that's ultimately what Habakkuk is doing Our series is on Habakkuk right now. As we're going through Habakkuk, Habakkuk sees the world, but he doesn't see the world the way he probably should see the world. He grows in frustration because he recognizes that uh, Judah specifically, but Israel as a whole, has been attacked. The nation of Israel, which became the northern kingdom, was wiped out already. Habakkuk saw this. But now Judah is being pressed in on all sides. And he's thinking back to Old Testament scriptures. He's like, wait, 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 God. Wait a second, wait a second. Hold up. Didn't you say we were supposed to be a priest to all the nations? Didn't you say that the nation of the Hebrews are supposed to be a blessing to all the nations? How can we be a blessing to all the nations if it seems like we're getting wiped out and attacked? And he questions God, what are you going to do about this? And what we saw last week is that God answered him. And the truth is, is that many of us in here, we offer prayers to God all the time. And and many times we don't think God's answering us. 
That's not true. God answers every one of our prayers. The problem isn't that he's not answering our prayers. The problem is we don't often like the answers he gives us. And because we don't like the answers we give us, and we like our answers he should have given us more, we tend to to accuse God of not listening instead of seeing the world the way he sees it. So the, the, the first chapter ends with Habakkuk saying, wait a second, God, why are you letting the unrighteous Babylon judge the righteous Judah, right? And, and, and we had this little, not a diagram, but a demonstration where God is up here, right? This is God. And then the nation of Judah is right here. And Habakkuk's view was, Babylon's way down here. If they're more unrighteous than we are, shouldn't you be concerned with them instead of concerned with us? But God demonstrates, no, that's not the way this works. If you're going to be a priest to the nations, if you're going to be a person that follows God and the rest of the world is going to know who God is because of your life, it doesn't look like this. It looks like this. And to get to them, God has to go through you. And oftentimes he's correcting you so that you can be a blessing to them. When Judah ended up being wiped out, Daniel went into Babylon. And when he went into Babylon, he actually was a priest to the nations through Nebuchadnezzar. And by the end of chapter 4 in the book of Daniel, I believe Nebuchadnezzar makes a faithful statement about believing in the Most High God. And one day we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in eternal life. And we're going to say, that's an amazing story. And what was it like growing hair out and acting like an animal for seven years? Because that's strange too. But the truth is, is God seems to use the strange things in our life to reflect who he is. And sometimes it takes those strange things in our life to shake us up so that we will fall back to him. And that's what's happening to Habakkuk. And as that chapter ends in chapter one, we get to chapter two, which is where we are right now. And today... We're going to talk about seeing the world the way God wants us to see it. Seeing the world the way God wants us to see it. And it starts off with, I think, with Habakkuk waiting on God. But I don't think he does it faithfully. So what does waiting on God faithfully look like? Verse 1. So after he makes this accusation about God. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see and he will say to me, or what he will say to me, and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So the idea, when Habakkuk says that, I'm going to station myself and stand watch on the ramparts, what it is is a watchtower over a city. And it's a guard that's looking out. It's it's really a lookout. And he's looking out at the world. And he's looking out to see if someone might be coming to attack or someone might be coming so that he can warn the city so that the city can be prepared for whatever attack might come. That's the illustration that Habakkuk uses when he says, I'm going to stand and watch so that I can respond. You see, half of that statement that Habakkuk says right off the bat is faithful. The other half is unfaithful. Because he says, I will look to see 
what he will say to me. I would say that's good. But he follows it up with just a little bit too much, doesn't he? And what answer I'm going to give to this complaint? He is waiting on God. But he's not preparing to listen to God. He's preparing to respond to God. His assumption is that God's answer won't satisfy him. He's waiting on God, but he's not waiting on God with the right motive. It can look right what you do, but you can have the wrong motive. It can look right, but it can be with the wrong heart, right? Often this is our prayers. We, we, we don't know how to pray, a lot of us. And we do the best we can, but the truth is a lot of our prayers go up to God and they're for our benefit oftentimes and not God's benefit. When we pray to God, sometimes we're looking for our comfort, our answer, but we aren't looking for the thing that will glorify God the most. And too often when he does answer the prayers that way, we're so dissatisfied even though God answered our prayer because we had the wrong motive going into it. Did you know that you can preach with the wrong motive? Did you know I can get up here and I can preach and I can say words that sound right, but I can also hope that you come walk away and say, man, Andy, you need to give that man like a $50,000 raise because he is a good preacher. I've never thought that. I only want 30. <laughs> um, our actions can have the wrong motive. And it really is about our heart, the way we view the world. It really is about our heart and the way that we follow God. It really is about our heart and the way that we seek him with our lives. We can do all the things that look right with the wrong motive and eventually you will be found out. And the accusation that others will have towards your God is that you don't believe it, so therefore your God is not good. What a detriment to our lives if our worship isn't right. Isaiah talks about this in the very first chapter. When God actually says to Isaiah, listen to this verse. It's in verse 13. He says this, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. What was happening in Israel at that time when Isaiah wrote that is that people were still going to the temple. They were still offering sacrifices. They were still listening to the reading of the law. They were still praying to God. But the problem was is that they were living in a country and they were actually walking in sinful nature. Even to the point where idol worship was even in their house. Where one king even put idols in the temple courts. 
And God was saying, that's detestable to me. He cares about your heart. We're going to take the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes, depending on when I get done. I don't know how much preaching y'all need. But we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And when we take the Lord's Supper, there's actually a really important verse in 1 Corinthians 11 that says when you take the Lord's Supper, you should do so with the right motives. In fact, before you take the Lord's Supper, you should repent before the Lord and go confess your sins to those that you might have wronged. Jesus shares the same thing in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, leave your offering at the table and go first be reconciled to your brother before you come back to offer. He cares about our hearts. He cares about us seeking him freely. He cares about our lives. Don't be prepared to respond to God. Be prepared to listen to him. You see, Habakkuk blamed God for not being faithful to do his job. That's ultimately what Habakkuk was doing. But God responds next, demonstrating that no one's been faithful. In fact, he's the only one that's been faithful. So first he's going to do two things. This is what faithfulness looks like, or righteousness looks like. And this is how righteous I've been at my job, how faithful I've been at my job. And God gives out evidence. So let's see what the Lord's answer is. Because God always responds to our prayers. He said, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. Now, these tablets are these wet clay tablets. And what would happen is God would give them instruction. And while the clay is still wet, he would write out exactly what God says. Then they put it in the kiln. They fire it up so it would harden up. And you can't change it. You can't put white out on it. You can't erase it. You can't add to it. It's set in stone. It's what God has deemed. And so therefore he's declared it. And you're supposed to run around and tell others about it. The only way you can get rid of it is if you break it. But the idea is that what God wants to tell him right here is for all people. This is his calling Habakkuk to be a prophet right here. It's very clear. What I'm sharing with you is very important. And what follows after this is one of the most quoted verses in all of Scripture, especially the New Testament. And so let's look at it. Verse 3, For the revelation awaits at an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Multiple times God said, what I'm doing is going to follow my plan and my timing. You see, too often we think because we don't get an immediate response, we think God is unloving. That's one of the accusations against the church and against our God. But it's actually the opposite of that. There's a reason God is waiting longer. He's waiting longer to give people a chance to repent. It's merciful. It's gracious. And though the answer lingers, it will come. It will come. When we read the book of Revelation, we know how the end is going to happen. We know that God is going to be in control and we're going to be a part of eternal life. That will come. It's not a fantasy. It is truth. And in fact, in that very book, there are so many evidences of things that have already happened from the Old Testament and also with Jesus Christ that we have to believe it. And it's mentioned multiple times in other books. Jesus is coming. He is coming. 
If you live a life not thinking Jesus is coming, you are going to be greatly surprised. But though the answer comes, you got to wait for it. See, we understand God has timing. We just don't understand his timing. We understand that God has a time and a purpose and a reason for everything. We just don't understand it. And part of the Christian life is recognizing that we are never going to understand his timing. It's not a deal breaker for following Jesus Christ. It's understanding that he will do it in his timing and being okay with that. Because guess what? He knows more than we know. He understands more than we understand. He designed all of this. And what he seeks is what's next. Verse four. See the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. Those that are hostile to God, those that are not followers, they're puffed up. Their desires are not upright. They think they know the way the world should work without consulting or following God. And so to them, their ways seem right. But it says the right person, the righteous person is this next line. And this is what's quoted three times in the New Testament. The righteous person will live by faithfulness or faith. The righteous person will live by faith. There's three very important parts of that statement. The righteous person, number two, living. God desires us to live. And the last word, by faithfulness. Earlier we found out, and through this verse, we know the righteous person believes in God. We know that through Abraham's story that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteous, right? Because he believed in God. He didn't believe in his own way. He believed in what God was going to provide for him. And then we know in Romans 12, we know that we're supposed to live as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So living for God, not, not, just, not just knowing, but also reflecting that in our lives is very important. But the way you do that is by faith. Faith is the strong part of this. It's by faith. You see, from the very beginning, when sin entered the world through the eating of the forbidden fruit in the garden, the very first thing God did was he made a promise that he would send a seed through a woman and it would crush the head of that serpent that just lied to you that calls this separation. And there's more to it and we can break it down, but the response of Adam and Eve at that time was supposed to believe. From the very beginning, if they just believed that God would fix what had just happened, then they would be living in his righteousness. The righteous person lives by faith. Faithfulness in this Old Testament word is actually a combination of words. It combines loyalty with truth and trust. And it's all mixed together in this one word that's there that's faithfulness. And it indicates that one's own inner attitude will direct their conduct. Their inner attitude will direct their conduct. Because they trust God, they're loyal to what he says, and so therefore, they think it's the truth. Or they receive the truth, they trust it, and they live it out. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. 
Are you willing to pray the prayer you don't want to pray because you believe in what Jesus will do? Are you scared to pray the prayer you know you should pray because you're scared that Jesus will do what you know he will do? Faithfulness. Is your outward conduct really matching what you confess with your mouth? Are you really transformed inside based off of your faithfulness? Do you have the comfort that God desires for you to have? We too quickly can jump to the accusations in our lives instead of reflective observation in our lives. Too quickly, we can look at things and say, well, this isn't working this way. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Instead of looking to God and saying, how are you using this to change who I am? How are you using this to glorify your name? The truth is, is that we can learn from others and we can learn from what God's doing. Are you seeing what God's doing in your life around you? Are you seeing it? Or are you just ignoring it and just saying that's just happenstance? Have you prayed to see it? In scripture, God says he wants wise people to learn from what they see. In Proverbs 12, 15, the way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise actually listen to advice. Hopefully that advice comes from people that are faithful and righteous. That's what you should listen to. Eleanor Roosevelt said this, learn from the mistakes of others. There's not enough time to make them all yourself. But you can also learn from the successes of others. That's what one body looks like. That's why community matters. That's why a church living together matters. Too often we've talked about our faith being personal and our own and we've separated ourselves. As long as we're following God, we're fine. Well, you're hindering what God wants to do because he wants to use you. And you might not know why you need to go to a church, but I guarantee you that God has used you in ways with other people that you are unaware of. It might be kind words you said. It might be the way that you've even closed your eyes when you sang praises. It might be the way that you've prayed out loud for others. It might be a question you asked that freed them up to ask a similar question that let down their guard. It might be a confession. The righteous person will live by faith. Then the chapter begins to transition. How do you wait on God faithfully? First, you listen, right? Then the second part, God responds explaining what faithfulness is. He has been faithful, and he desires for you to have faith in him so that you can also live that way. And it starts to transition, and what you realize is this person that was in opposition to the faithful people, God saw all that. And verse 5 says, indeed, wine betrays him. He's arrogant and rest, never at rest, because he is greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. And then he goes on with this explanation of what Babylon has done. Now, you probably would think that at this time when Habakkuk receives this instruction of what Babylon's done, he would look at it and say, finally, God, you're doing what I asked you to do. 
But that's not the way Habakkuk responds in chapter 3. What he realizes is that God has been good at his job and he hasn't missed anything. And what you're going to see from this is that it's not that God didn't see it. In fact, as he lays this out, Habakkuk recognizes God saw everything. But there's a timing for it, him to respond to it. And it starts off with five woes. There are five woes in here. And I'm going to read portions of each of these woes. Whenever the woe comes up, it's one of those things that identifies there's sin or there's, there's judgment that's coming. So if you read scripture and you come across a woe, know that that is an accusation. So, what has Babylon done? God explains how those Habakkuk thought were unrighteous didn't escape God's sight and won't escape God's judgment. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. That's plunder. Babylon did go in to many of the countries and grab their wealth and then take it for themselves. That's stealing. And then the second woe is in verse 9. Woe to him who builds his house on unjust gain, setting his nest on high. So it's not only stealing and plundering those other people, but it's taking it back and building a castle or building a place of wealth for them. That is dishonest prosperity. So we got plunder, we have dishonest prosperity. I'm going to use as many P words as I can right here to be able to explain this because that's what preachers are paid to do. Verse 12, third one. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. You know what that is? That is creating a populace or a people to make a city. So it's causing other people to follow behind what he's doing, which is stealing and building up for themselves, right? So now he's a leader that's affecting others. This is Babylon, remember? 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pouring it out with wineskins till they are drunk so that he can gaze at their naked bodies. Now, so what this is, is this is taking advantage of the other people around them. They are for their power. It's using power dishonestly. That's the P word I'm going to use. And what's going to happen is using power dishonestly, it's that these people are not there to be a part of a community that we care for. These people are there for that leader's benefit. He's taking advantage of them. So yeah, Babylon was known for having these wild parties with uh, lots of alcohol that caused them inebriated, which caused sin to be okay and accepted within that area that we would look at and we would say, no, you shouldn't do that. All the way to the point where it ended up in these places where people would strip themselves of their clothes and they would gaze at their nakedness is the way that it's described here. I'm sure that happened, but what it does is it's taken advantage of people for their own enjoyment, for their own entertainment. So, misusing power. And then the last woe is verse 19, but it's preceded by verse 18. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman? Or what image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trust in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. That's improper praise. He's still in praise. He's creating for himself a religion. Instead of giving God the glory, ultimately it leads to that. Now, we have plunder, prosperity, positioning, 
power, misuse of power, and praise right there. I didn't find this in any commentary or anyone else has written on this, but I can't get past how similar this looks to when Lucifer fell from heaven in Isaiah 14. And in fact, in Isaiah 14, when Lucifer fell from heaven, who is Satan himself, when he fell as an archangel, he had five I wills in Isaiah 14 that mimic these very things and actually in the same order. Listen to this. You said in your heart, Isaiah 14, verse 13, if you want to write it down, I will ascend to the heavens. That's going up, that's taking from God, stealing from God what's his. I will raise my throne. That's building up his own place, right? Above the stars of God. Then he says, I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. That's building that city, right? Building those people that are followers. Those on the utmost house of Mike Zephon. Verse 14, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. Now, that's putting himself up in a privileged place that he's over other people to take advantage of them as well. And then the last one, I will make myself like the most high. The most high name is a name of giving to praise to God himself in the Old Testament. It always preceded giving praise or instructed people they should give praise to the most high God. And Satan here is saying, I will take that praise. What preceded all these woes is the fact that Babylon lived in arrogance. And arrogance is a slippery slope that ultimately leads to the very same type of actions that you see right here. It will cause a person to steal from what's not them in dishonesty. It will cause a person to actually go to the place where they start building up a dishonest lifestyle and start making things better for themselves instead of trusting God. It will influence other people. And ultimately, you'll take advantage of other people. You won't treat them as the creation that God's created them as a reflection of who God is. But instead, you'll make it about yourself, which will ultimately lead to you seeking what you think is right. And living a life of praise to yourself. And that's what Satan wants. These words are an explanation to Habakkuk that God sees everything. He heard everything. He knows everything. It's not that he didn't see it. It's not that he's not responded to it. It's that he is slow to anger and he's waiting for the right time. The character of God is long-suffering and merciful. And too often we don't see God as that. And then the last line of this chapter, actually in verse 20, I think is the most overlooked verse in all of the book of Habakkuk. Verse 20 says this, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This verse clearly says, because it says he's in his holy temple, that God is not off duty. And the earth can hold no accusation against him because he's there. He sees all, he hears all, he knows all. And if he isn't acting now, it's because of his grace and long suffering. And we should be grateful for that. I think too often we pray for God's vengeance to take place before his grace takes place. We're grateful that he would be long suffering with us. 
It's okay that God's long-suffering. He's in control. He's not apathetic. And just because he's not answering doesn't mean he doesn't care. In fact, God isn't surprised by what we see in our world. But God is hurt by it. God does feel it. You're not alone. And in 2020, as we take steps to see the world the way God sees the world, we actually have laid out a way that you can join us in that. And regeneration is a great way for you to do that. You might have been sitting here, you might have heard the announcement, and you might have thought, you know, maybe that's not for me. But now after hearing the way that we need to change to look the way God sees the world, not the way we are typically see the world, you might think, maybe I do need to spend a year doing that. Maybe you need to join us in adult Bible classes where there's regular people going to a class to seek God's word, to hear what he says, not what someone up here says necessarily, but what the word of God says. If it really does say that, does it change the way that we respond and act? Maybe you need to join us in this 2020, read the book and take each of these months as we take a new step forward to really be transformed, not so that we can have a year where we follow God faithfully for one year, but one that sets a standard and a way of life that goes on and on and on. The truth is, is I don't know what you need in your life to take that step of faith. I don't know what's preventing you from being able to see the world, but here's what I can assure you, you do. You know what's keeping you from following God faithfully. You know what you have in your life that's preventing you from faithfully following the Lord. It might be a person in your life. It might be a behavior in your life. It might be a place in your life. And you know you haven't faithfully given that to God. Are you going to take a step today to do that? And the great thing about being here at Grace is you don't have to do that alone. The only person that had to do anything alone is Jesus when he died on the cross for our sins. And because of that, you can do that with others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We give you the praise right now for what you've done for us. Lord, help us to live 2020 faithfully seeking you and no longer giving glory to ourselves in ways that we choose to. And help us to follow you faithfully with our lives so that it might help others have hope in you as well. It's by your son's name we pray. Amen.